guys. So good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. This is a podcast by uh, Two Tokens. My name is Eric Schnuckel, uh, working for Two Tokens, working for Zizon, um, and we're going to talk about the invoice market use case, where we are trying to establish a token standard for invoices. And with me today are Arnat Bushenka from ABN AMRO, uh, Mark Meyer from Crowdsy, and Bharav Patel from the factor and um, well, guys, uh, perhaps you can start introducing yourself, starting with Bharav, please. Just because I'm next to you. Yeah, right? you're next to me. So welcome from sunny Rotterdam. My name is uh, Bharav Patel. I'm the tech lead for DeFactor. And DeFactor is a blockchain-based product project, sorry, uh, that provides access for traditional businesses to liquidity pools or money that's sitting on the blockchain. So one of the very first use cases that we have is with invoice financing, supply chain financing, so where companies can place their t place their invoices onto our platform, we tokenize those, and then they're able to access funding uh, through that. Obviously, as we grow, we're looking to increase the number of asset types that we're going to be adding onto the platform, so real estate, digital assets, et cetera. So very excited to be here to talk about the standardization of uh, invoices. Okay, great. Uh, Mark, view. Can introduce yourself. Yeah, please. this is this is Mayor Mark Meyer from, from Clouds, um, from sunny London as well. Uh, Crowds is a is a US-based company uh, in California. We we do invoice finance, uh, so we have created a, a marketplace where we, we put together uh, financer investors with um, with SME willing to sell the, the invoices. Um, so far, we've been been quite successful. Um, last year, we really started. We founded about 50 million of invoices, and um, and we work alongside. So we have two product sets. One is a multi-tenant platform where we can you can have several investors uh, bidding on the same invoices, or we have also a white label solution uh, by a company like Meta. Uh, we're working with with them since uh, since last year, uh, but EG as well, uh, who is in um, um, an investor, a real estate investor in in Australia. Citibank as well, uh, working with us on on white label solutions to uh, to basically fund the the supply chain. Um, part of the project, so what we're trying to to achieve is uh, moving all the receivable we have on on the blockchain. And I believe we're gonna we're gonna talk about a bit why why we're doing it later. But as the next step, uh, we've been quite successful with with a traditional way. And the next step is to to move the receivable on the blockchain. Okay, thank you. And then we have Arnaud uh, from a traditional finance background, the ABN yeah, Amro so, Bank. So traditional banking also has to play its part, right? Uh, I'm Arnaud Bouchier, the Director of Innovation for ABN Amro Asset Based Finance. And um, uh, basically my role is to, to find new ways of, of, of uh, performing asset-based finance transactions uh, and, and, and connect us to, uh, to the new world. Um, why is a bank in, uh, in in something that is really fintech and uh, very distributed with with our centralized uh, environment and, and 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 approach in the market? Because basically that's the business model that we have. Um, we believe that um, to to become a, a serious player in the digital age, you have to you have to move with that, uh, and um, therefore um, we are looking to. Uh, to ride the wave of, of, of uh, new developments. And one of these waves is, uh, is, is, is of course, uh, uh, blockchain digital assets. 
uh, and, and we feel that the uh, that that the invoice is a is a is a very good digital asset to uh, to change the world for a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, and we aim to be uh, uh, a better bank for a better world in the future. So we hope that what we can add here uh, will uh, will also make it easier for other entrepreneurs to to do business. And uh, that's also why we want to work with other parties like Defractor and, and Crowds, uh, because if you work with others, then you can create standards. Uh, and when you create standards, business becomes easier and uh, we can remove friction. Yes, it's cer certainly true. Uh, also in the project are uh, a CMS lawyers, uh, the law firm um, and Erasmus University. And uh, this morning we already had a workshop together where we discussed some of the uh, um, I said things that we can run into when, when using tokenization, uh, uh, talking about the um, different parties, the stakeholders in, in the processes and what their role would be um, in the end to get to that token standard. How would um, a token standard change business for good? Um, Mark, what is your opinion on that and how would you implement that in, in the way you see business evolve? I think, I think, first of all, I mean, the, the problem statement we have nowadays is um, it's a bit all over the place. You have obviously different standards in the industry, um, the way the way invoices, receivables are managed, either done automatically or or via spreadsheets, as we discussed, discussed this morning. So, so basically, it creates a, a lot of inefficiencies uh, operationally. Um, where, where you know the bank, the banks operate, and and potentially having uh, a true standard across across all the across all the players. First of all, will basically streamline um, all operations, so create efficiencies. That's I think the the, the first thing. Probably also reduce um, everything related to to fraud, because basically information becomes available uh, across the different stakeholders, and and potentially could be verified. Um, and and eventually everything benefits from uh, for you know the investors, obviously, but also for those looking for capital because all of these inefficiencies creates um, high cost uh, in industry. So uh, um, an environment that probably a bit fairer um, as opposed as opposed of today, particularly when you think about you know the current. Uh, economic uh, climates where basically interest, interest rates are going up, inflation is to the roof. So, so, so basically finding efficiencies will probably be, be beneficial for the, the, months to, the months to come. So yeah, mostly like really creating efficiencies across, across the industry. Okay, thank you. And, and, and Baraf, if, is that a vision that you share with Mark or is, do you see other opportunities, other changes that might that, that you are, as a company are working on? So I think for us, a couple of things to add on to what Mark said is two, two, two think important factors. One's transparency and the other one's the interoperability. So Mark and I have already had a quick discussion on, you know, crowds are doing their thing, we're doing our thing, but if we don't have a standard, how can we do things together in that sense, right? So one of the, having a standard would allow us to be able to try and you know, transfer NFTs to each other's or transfer whatever it is, invoices, in tokenized format to each other so that then the, the the sellers get the best deal, right? So that kind of also adds to the layer of transparency. So what we're trying to do at DeFactor is, is give businesses the ability to see what funding is out there and what can they get for for their invoice, right? Or for their for their asset. 
And on the flip side, investors need to have a little bit of transparency. You have transparency on their side. And again, what is out there and what do they want to fund? How much do they, you know, what risk appetites do they have? You know, how can they um, mitigate their risks across portfolios, et cetera, et cetera. And I think those are the, with a common standard where everyone was able to know that this set of data is, is there and it's same and we, they know what they're going to get from that, that data set. It helps with all these different things. And I think what's, what's quite weirdly interesting about the invoice space is that an invoice is not the same in, in every country, which is, you, you'd think it would be, but it's not. And so allowing us to do this kind of opens up a whole new set of opportunities uh, for investors and for, for sellers. Yes. And, and Arnaud, you see, you, you are in this business for a long, long time already with, with, with ABN AMRO. Uh, uh, and, do, and, and doing this, um, working in this use case, how would it change your business model? Is that a thing that you are uh, looking at for short term or is that really a long term thing for, for, for the bank? Well, for the bank, this is definitely a long term uh, play. Um, we know that in the short term, our current business models, they, they generate income, uh, they help uh, uh, entrepreneurs, they, they help large corporations, and, and all those other players also have to change uh, uh, their, their, their way of doing business, not necessarily the business model, but, but the way they do it, uh, in order to, to move to, to new technologies and, and, and adopt new standards. But um, uh, a standard in itself, uh, whether, whether that has been created on, on, on a token or, uh, or, or simply uh, in an XML file like UDL, um, uh, can, can just by existing change markets already, right? And um, uh, uh, in the way we, we currently uh, conduct our factoring business, uh, we are very, very traditional. Uh, probably, I think you could say that we are one of those parties that, that you go to if you want to be very sure of, of getting financed uh, against the terms that, uh, that you agreed uh, and, uh, and that you're going to go get a good price if you're a good client. Uh, but we also have uh, high, uh, high operational costs to, uh, to, to run these deals. Um, and uh, in, in the fintech world, uh, costs are far lower uh, because of digital standards. And, and we feel that we need to be part of that in order to connect ourselves to, to that world once, um, once our customers are also ready to do so. Uh, and well, try to stay a step ahead. So the um, uh, the idea of us doing this is uh, is, is mainly to uh, to improve our, our business model to help our customers in a better way, but also to make sure that uh, when in future we go into this distributed world where the factor and crowds are uh, assessing risks on uh, all kinds of parties and and, and their counterparts that um, uh, we could either uh, be part of that game or, or maybe even be a funder behind that or uh, be part of the investment circle or uh, uh, be an advisor to our customers. There are multiple business models that could be, uh, that could be uh, used uh, in order to, uh, to, to make sure that the customers of Baby and Amro get, get best access to this market. Um, and we do not necessarily feel that in a distributed market, uh, uh, we have to do all these things for our customers. They could probably do a whole lot of stuff themselves. Uh, but we also see that in the, in the multitude of assets that is available uh, and is coming available, uh, uh, probably customers will also uh, seek for a party that can help them navigate that. 
And I think that we still are that. But so on one sense, you can say we can, as, a, as ABN AMRO, we can provide liquidity into, into, these, into this Infos Market project. On the, other, yeah. other, on the other side, you might be a door for your customers into, into the project as well. So an asset originator, as, uh, as it's, it's called. Well, uh, at both ends, right? So at the asset origination, but also at the investment end. And then the processes that can be developed on the token standard make it more efficient, like uh, I think Mark and Baraf both said. Uh, and, and, and so you stay relevant in the future as well. In this, in this. Well, yeah, of course, this creates a, a way of, of remaining relevant for traditional banks, but um, uh, it's, it's not just about the relevance, it's also, um, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's in our mission. We aim to be a better bank for a better world uh, for generations to come. Um, so, um, uh, with a balance sheet like the size of Avian Amro, you can also actually make a difference. So if we uh, if we are able to to make a difference here uh, to 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 move into a good space and help our customers move into a good space, then we are not just being relevant, but I think we're also shaping the market a little. Okay, thank you. And uh, Barav, on to yeah, there's one thing I wanted to just kind of say. Obviously, standardisation helps reduce the barriers of entry, right? And what you can see is that a lot of banks in certain markets are, are leaving because the total cost of operation is higher. As Anna said, and I think what you can, what you're seeing is in in certain places where, where there's where you have standardisation and there's a, a lower cost of entry for other players who can add additional services and do things that they're good at. That means that, as Anna said, that the bank or larger institutions can play a slightly different role than they were playing originally, and then they can get more involved because they are doing the things that they're good at, rather than trying to do everything which they not, may not necessarily be efficient at. I think that's and, and it's kind of a nice side effect of, of standardisation. Yeah, I agree. You see that as a side effect as well, uh, Mark. Is there? Is there? Uh, it, th how do you? How do you see that evolve uh, from your side? I mean, in terms of side effects, um, again, sudden standardization. Um, yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, Maria Maria entries become become lower to to every player in in this in this industry. I agree. I mean, you look at. I'm just going to give an analogy with ISO 20022. Well, basically, um, prior to ISO 20022 in Europe, it's been been a very ineffective solution, uh, ineffective solutions in Europe to make to make payments. And and since we have that, not only you know cost is being reduced, it's more transparent. You have also new players in this industry, so basically, it creates a, a, a better a better market for for everyone. Likewise, with with open banking. Um, there's some standardization as well, and and create also uh, a level playing field for for everyone to create to create innovation. So yeah, I think I think the side effects will be really new players, but but also more more innovation in this industry, because yeah. then you can create scale, and and, and build on something that uh, everybody can use basically. So if if the result of creating this token standard is being a market that is more efficient that will grow the market by how much can you can you give an estimation on how that would lead to more entrepreneurs offering their invoices and more liquidity getting into the market I think okay sorry to interrupt but i think that what i think is interesting here is that i don't think it necessarily you get more i think there's such a large amount of unbanked businesses out there that rather than you know creating more of, of liquidity actually what you're doing is you're giving those businesses access to liquidity that they wouldn't normally be able to access because you know obviously ABN and AMR, the big banks don't 
finance everybody, right? True. I think that's the key. Okay. Yeah, clear. I understand that. But is there is there an estimation to make how much that will grow the market? Is because the market is already billions and still growing, uh, especially factoring is growing a lot every every year, a year over year growth of double digit percentage. So, um, will this accelerate the growth? A, it's a difficult. It's a difficult question. Like, uh, personally, I cannot. I cannot size the opportunity. We are really in the middle of. Um, trying to assess the efficiency um but I, I strongly believe that as you make the market more efficient you're going to get more, more liquidity because um probably i'm out can, can confirm that but basically you have a, a type of assets that is not really liquid uh in the sense that is you know it's owned by let's say ab and amro and and basically cannot really move easily across different um different partners um different companies so you create a, a um an open market where all of these assets, you know, with blockchain, with this ledger, became, becomes uh, really tr easily tradable. Uh, so creates um, a market where people are ready to invest or buy, you know, on the secondary market or via syndication. And eventually, this efficiency creates more liquidity. Having said that, to me, I mean, it, the market is growing. Um, there is a hype at the moment. Uh, you have two companies working on invoice finance here. So it just shows that um, there is there is a lot of new players on this market because there is you know, um, growth um, and, and a lot of capital coming into, into this market. And if you look at the trade finance gap, that's in, in trillions, right? So what you're, what you're looking at is even if you can shave that down by a small bit, you're, you're helping lots and lots of companies uh, there. Yeah, I agree. And, and one of the things as well I would like to is um, the world of, of B2C, and I come from B2C, I've seen like uh, decades of innovation. And the B2B world has been, um, you know, left on the side for, for a while. And you see a lot of competition right now in B2C. And, and now many, many players, even traditional like payments gateway like Stripe or, or, or Adyen, that are now looking at very, very strongly on the B2B world. So you see a lot of innovation now coming. They, Everybody sees that the market is is highly inefficient, and um, there is a lot um, of of value value creation to capture. I think uh, Arnold made a point today. It was on syndication. I guess he can talk more about it. But again, I'm assuming that will open up a lot of possibilities. Yeah, I agree with you, Arnold. So, so the the the, the thing with with, with, with traditional uh, uh, financing of, of, of large deals, so even the deals that we are normally uh, supposed to do, uh, uh, also brings us to the limits of, of, of what we regula regulatory can do, right? And, and regulation, of course, for large banks is, is also limiting in who we can finance in the, in the smaller end, but in the larger end, we have the same issue. So um, uh, working with, with, with large invoices, large or very large customers, usually forces us to come in with syndicated deals. And, and create, setting up a deal syndicate and, and running agency for that uh, are expensive activities. If, if you're talking about friction, uh, it can take uh, up to nine months to, to negotiate a deal. Uh, and then the financing hasn't even started yet. So uh, if in, in, a, in a world where there's an open market for these invoices, um, it's probably much easier to, uh, to, to work with, with several parties together, uh, maybe even have some sort of a, a small market 
in which you uh, you work with these invoices and make sure that uh, that these companies are, are funded uh, adequately and quickly enough, uh, uh, accelerating their business uh, by at least uh, the time of negotiation. Interesting to see how that works with the bigger tickets, but if you look at liquidity in general, actually, so you have the, the supply and demand side of things, of course, and uh, without any provision of capital, then you fund no invoices. So how does that work? Um, how, how have you implemented that uh, or are, how are you going to implement that? So you're looking for a smaller invoice. So one of the key things that we're looking at, obviously, is building our own liquidity pools uh, from on the one side with the factor. And I think one of the key things there, again, is that, uh, and obviously we're working with the likes of Centrifuge who have retail investors coming in. The, one of the key things there is giving them the ability to know what is there underlying the, the you know, what, what are they paying for, right? What are they actually putting money uh, towards? And I think where we see that standardization as a big benefit is, that, again, as I was mentioning before, is that transparency piece, right? So if we push a number of assets into a, a pool or pull those assets together, then people can see you know, quite clearly the risk profile of that pool. They can see you know, the, the, where the debtors are, what country, what type of trade, what type of goods even uh, they're dealing with. And how would you do that? So transparency without revealing competitive information? Exactly. So that, that it would be a disaggregation or kind of a anonymization of data, but to give you a high level, okay, you've got 20% exposure to, to Colombia or you've got 20% exposure to consumable perishable goods or whatever it is, right? Yeah. It gives you that level of information that you don't normally, like firstly, retail investors wouldn't have this opportunity to, to put money into things like this normally. Now they have a new opportunity, but they also have better visibility. And, and I think one of the, I mean, going slightly off topic, one of the key things for, for us at DeFactor is that we saw, you see such volatility in the decentralized finance space simply because of the way that people are yield farming or, or essentially investing in crypto. And uh, I'm not going to say all of it, but there is some of it which is not based on very much. So once you can create the asset back finance into, into the DeFi space, you actually are, in, you know, you're putting money towards something tangible that you can understand and that you can see and you see is, is real stuff moving uh, across the world. Yeah, but then in the end, you, you want to finance invoices, you help entrepreneurs, and yeah. how would you prevent then, I say bots from trading in the secondary market and making money on? Um, yeah, so secondary markets are a little bit uh, a separate thing because uh, that's when you're looking at securitization and that's where mm -hmm. things become. And then again, obviously there's a KYC AML element there and, and then there's obviously the regulatory aspect. So then you'll then you're work, working into moving into a whole new different realm. But um, again, with the standardization, that should help in any kind of regulatory compliance. Right, right. Yeah, there is actually a very good upside uh, against uh, the bot trading uh, in, in the nature of an invoice, right? Especially when the invoice is treated as a utility. Uh, an invoice can never increase in value. It can only decrease in value. So uh, if, if bots would be trading that around, they would have to find some sort of a way to increase the invoice value uh, before they can do that. And you know, it's, it's fine if they want to try, uh, because maybe someone can actually uh, make some good value out of that. But in, in the nature of what we're trying to do with this standardization, we are working with invoices as they are. So they can be discounted, uh, they can uh, be reduced in value because they, they get insured and uh, well, that has a cost. Um, they could even uh, reduce uh, in value over time. 
but um, uh, increasing them in value would would actually ask uh, the, the the buyer of the goods to increase the goods in value and maybe even put them back up for sale. So that is going to be a very difficult situation if you ask me. Yeah, clear, clear. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, uh, Mark, how would you uh, if you look at liquidity within your system? Yeah, so, so we we have a, like a different approach. Uh, uh, compared to de facto uh, regarding liquidity pools. We, we don't have uh, at the moment liquidity pools and, and no uh, retail customer. We have an approach that is, is true sales. So basically we, we don't fraction um, in, in the receivables. So we have mostly um, on the platform institutional investors or, or large organizations, but we, we're not stacking the uh, the retail market. It just I think that we have, hang on. Sorry, just to be clear, for, from a de facto point of view, we're not. Uh, we're working with institutional capital. Retail is obviously one of the things that we want to hit further down the line because it's obviously a very heavily regulated market. Okay, thanks for for the clarification. So, so, so basically, where where we see um, liquidity coming is is obviously traditional traditional players, but also like the project we have with with Meta at the moment, it, it is basically a player that is that is not traditionally in this area and and the view was basically we want to do good in the, in the supply chain and the, in the sme market in in the us and and we want to provide we want to provide capital um because obviously they, they they're quite cash rich and and um and they can help they can help the economy L likewise we see um uh fund investment like eg wants also to potentially do something quite different to what we do with we usually do with supply chain finance as well. So what we see is like a traditional player like ABN uh, is willing to make this more efficient, potentially address the SME markets because it's um, it's a market underserved at the moment. But also um, other type of funds who are not traditionally there are really willing to. To, to tackle this, um, because as I was mentioned earlier, there are very, very few assets at the moment, asset class that actually can offer stability with uh, with a high yield like like this this one. Um, uh, as mentioned, you know, inflation high, stock market down. Uh, at the moment, I mean, the, the the crypto market also is very volatile and going down. So it is really interesting, and we see more and more players willing to players with capital willing to invest in this in this environment okay uh, that's we, we there's one topic i still want to cover actually and and that's a thing that uh, by brought up and that is the uh moving assets from one uh, place to the other um so the token standard of course should be blockchain agnostic i know i know that you both are developing on different platforms um how would you see that being able in the future to to trade assets when the references or the asset itself are stored on the, on different blockchains how do you see that evolve uh, perhaps i can give you the word first there Marav. yeah so the, again this is something that we're actively looking at because we as de facto we work with other liquidity pools and providers so the likes of centuries on one side there's also other uh, projects out there like nows and, and polytrade and we're obviously taking assets from asset originators and they can be anywhere so so for us, it's about creating a, a standard. So we've created our own standard. Um, we've been working, obviously, since we've come across two tokens, we've been adapt modifying our standard to, to work uh, alongside what's being developed here. Uh, and then for us, it's really about locking 
that NFT into a pool sitting somewhere else. So you can either, at the moment, create a copy of that and lock that into another pool, or we will, well, we essentially have our own de facto chain which will create that standard, and that standard will have then again uh, NFTs locked into different pools. It's it's something that uh, it's a complex area, right? It's not something that we can we can figure out straight away. There's a lot of w different ways to cut it, and I think a lot of what we a lot of what we're looking at at the moment is to see, okay, what is the appetite for investing into these into these assets, right? What are different investors looking for? What kind of covenants do they want on uh, on their pools? And how then do we best, most efficiently, efficiently get that money out to asset originators who don't really care about what blockchain? Because right. for shouldn't, them, shouldn't none, be. exactly, no. none, of, none of this matters for them. So how can we do this in the most efficient way for, for the, the funders and for the, for the asset originators? So for us, we've got about two or three different approaches. The moment we're doing a kind of a proof of concept on Algorand on with, with one set of work, which is actually very closely aligned to what's their two tokens. We came out with the, what we're doing initially with um, <clears throat> uh, on de facto, which is very closely aligned with Centrifuge. We're also looking at a third option or within our own kind of proprietary, proprietary thing. So I guess the answer to that question is that we'll know more about it. This in about two, three months. Yeah, in a couple of months. Yeah, is that is that the same with you, uh, Mark? Is that how you look at it as well? It's, it's not the thing that you the urgently look at at the moment, but it's in the back of your in the back of your minds. Totally. I mean, if we if we speak about interoperability um, across different companies, uh, we are we are an Ethereum house. Um, we're planning uh, to do on Polygon. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, Algorand, uh, you have other other chain. I mean, not one chain, many, many chains will survive. Uh, different players will use different chain, you know, re um, regarding, you know, their the reasons. Um, eventually, yes, it's going to have to be cross-chain. And we will have to make sure, one of the things also, we have to make sure that if you if you source an invoice in one, on one chain, uh, making sure it's not duplicated on another chain. So that technology like zero knowledge proof that can potentially help to do that. But now eventually you you look for the invoice where they are and you look for liquidity where where, where it is basically. But now exactly, exactly as de facto is looking at. Okay, thank you. And it's not a, a thing that you are really looking into at the moment, uh, Arnett, I suppose, because I don't think you have uh, created a, a blockchain that you want to work on. So you're uh, more distant to that. Right. Well, yes and no. Um, uh, we haven't created our own blockchain, of course, uh, because we're not allowed. Um, uh, but we are following the market and we aim to be agnostic as well, right? So uh, we hope that a standard is agnostic. Uh, and that at, at the moment that we as banks are, are being allowed to, to, to enter this market more actively, uh, and our customers are asking that, that we can also connect to the relevant networks. Uh, we've seen a lot of changes in, in networks that are most being used. And then, well, when you're uh, an incumbent player, it's it's always difficult to, to prioritize which technology you're going to use. Technology you're going to use when everything is so fluid. Uh, so we are really happy that we have the startups and scale-ups uh, that want to partner up in a, in a use case like this in crowds and, and defector. Uh, that actually have the agility to uh, to move with it and, uh, and and create this opening and and let's hope we 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 gamble on the right ones right uh, that are actually going to to generate uh, uh, customer contact 
not so much that that they should generate immense amounts of business, but as we when we are where the customers are, we are the right space to help them. Okay, thank you. I, I think we can talk for a long, long time still about this uh, the topic. We already spent a couple of hours this morning talking about this topic, and um, but I still think that we have to conclude it. Uh, perhaps a, a short round of last words for you guys. Um, from for me, I will. Uh, um, let me say that in the in the notes you can find links to um, the companies to uh, and in the on the two tokens website twotokens.org you can find in more information on the invoice market uh, use case and 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 who's working on that with with the relevant uh, links to it as well. Um, but perhaps uh, the famous last words for um, let, let's let's start with Arna. This time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's last for the incumbent bank. <laughs> um, so um, uh, I must say, we, we are just really happy to be part of this and, um, uh, and also really happy to, to work on a standard that might shape the future of, 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 of how we do business uh, together. And uh, mostly about the together part because, uh, uh, you know, Personally, I believe that in a sustainable economy, it's all about cooperation and, and teamwork and, um, and and making sure that, that customers can actually do business instead of uh, uh, us making most money on it. Thank you. Mark? Um, what I would say is like, it's, it's really exciting time because if you, if you, are, if you are in this area um, of, you know, blockchain, trying to put real world assets into, onto the blockchain, there are so many things going on and, and you almost have the fear of missing out the formal because, you know, every day, every day you have a new company, a new project, uh, a new something basically. But what I think is really important is um, it was not the case, let's say two years ago, even like 12 months ago, traditional players now have appetite to pilot and to work on that because um, I think, I think many FI has been have been burnt with you know crypto projects or blockchain projects without any purpose or any um, any use cases, and I think I think um, banks um, were not really involved into blockchain and they're coming back, um, and I think that's where it becomes interesting because um, the likes of Libya and they offer scale, and they're ready and they're ready to test and and I think together can potentially drive the adoption of the market on, on, on this type of technology. Um, particularly also because, you know, now, now people understand what the blockchain is and, and the, the ledger technology as opposed to like pure crypto crypto assets. So I think it's just my conclusion is it's very exciting and uh, we will see big changes uh, over the next two months. Yeah, and for me, I think echoing both of, both of them, but I think what I find very intriguing is that let's say, if you're taking this in the traditional finance space, the three of us would probably see each other as competitors, right? Whereas now there's very much an open collaboration and actually something like Two Tokens allows us to be able to to find new ways of working together and actually new business opportunities, right, that, that exist between the, the three. I think the other thing that I find interesting about this space, and again, as uh, Mark said, you know, obviously it's giving the blockchain technology a kind of a, a newer veneer let's put it that way so it's no longer the volatility of crypto there's something actually real behind it and i think one of the key things that we need to do as a as a group of people is is try and kind of disassociate the complexities of crypto and blockchain speak from what we're actually trying to do which is actually very traditional in many ways right 
focused on the functionality exactly. and, and not on the technology. And but the technology is a driver that allows us to do much more than we could do in the past. I can remember about seven years ago, Arnett and I were working on a trade finance uh, uh, use case. Uh, we learned a lot since and things change, change a lot as well. But uh, in the end it goes, it's all about functionality. How can we make life easier for everyone that needs money and that has money and still make a decent profit? That's exactly it. Okay. Thank you very much all for listening to this twotokens.org podcast. More information you can find on the Two Tokens website. And um, if you're interested to join, if you want more information, just reach out to any of us and we'll be happy to accommodate you. Thank you very much. That was it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening in and please subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find our contact details at www.twotokens.org.